You're listening to the Detroit is Different Podcast Network. That's how we out here now. That's how we out here now. What? That's how we out here now. That's how we out here now. Welcome to the Riverwise Podcast. On this podcast, we bring you the conversations and stories that are affecting the communities in and around the city of Detroit, the voices of those who are fighting against systemic oppression and bringing self-sustainability to the families, friends, and activists in our communities. My name is Amas Muhammad, and I'm joined, as always, by the managing editor of Riverwise Magazine, Eric Campbell. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, we have a very special guest. We're looking forward to a, a, a very critical conversation today, one we've been looking forward to for a couple of weeks now. Um, we had um, we had an opportunity about two weeks ago to uh, we actually we actually scheduled this conversation a couple of weeks ago, and uh, our uh, our guest who was uh, who was fighting on the streets for um, for more um, for racial justice and for uh, for police uh for against police brutality very involved in the protests that have been going on in the streets um for now the past over 30 days we'll talk to him about exactly where we are as far as the count goes but it's been well over 30 days now and um they've been making uh making their arguments heard in the streets and through a list of demands to the city um so we, we, you know we're, we're happy to be here and have that conversation around uh building that coalition and building that movement um in the midst of you know all this going on in us, um, you know, including now the heat. Now we're dealing with with, with a little bit of a heat, mm-hmm. a little bit of a heat yeah. wave. Um, there's so much going on around, uh, um, you know, the 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 what's happened in the streets across the city, across the nation, in, and across the globe. Um, it's been heartening to see the folks that have gotten out there and you know made their made their. Uh, made their positions known um you know we've gone there a couple times we've done gone down there a couple times i was down at the uh, tribunal mm-hmm. um there's been a lot of work that's being done by uh we're speaking specifically of detroit will breathe and that coalition in southwest detroit where i'm at i got a chance to go down there and spend some time um with our guest tristan taylor who's with us who will be joining us in just a minute um what is what is your take on on what's been going on thus, thus far and how um how people are reacting in the city well, I think it's 
I think it's an incredibly poignant moment in our country right now. Uh, I think it's I think it's quite fitting that the temperature is turning up not only in a political and social sphere, but in the reality of our, you know, our atmosphere as a country. And I have a lot of questions and comments, and I'm being very inspired by the work that is being done. You're seeing a massive insurgence of young people, of all people, springing forth into the streets and taking notice um, of work that hasn't, you know, didn't spring forward newly from the summer, but is really being galvanized in the the wake of the deaths of so many black and brown people at the hands of the police. And um, I'm really excited to kind of pick apart and uh, explore what that means to someone like our guest who is so integral and so integrated into the movement um, every day in this heat, in this moment, um, pushing forward speaking to those who are in power and to those who are coming from um, the different communities to stand in the street and show, share their voice and solidarity to the movement as it's, as it's yeah. unfolding right now. Um, it's amazing. You know, in the magazine, Riverwise, our, our main focus is on folks and organizations that are increasingly seeing themselves as responsible for uh, reorganizing society and and replacing in, unjust institutions, uh, and representing um, re representing us, the people themselves. Um, so it's heartening to me. Out of this, out of this recent wave of of, of street act activity that we see um, along with it, you know the demands that are put forth. Um, you know, a lot of people look at it as as a, as a rebellion, but it's 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 further than that. It's it's moved forward. To advance beyond the stage of rebellion, because you have people, we have folks now that are putting together um, ideas for how policing might look um, in an alternative situation. We have people that are talking about community control. We have people that are talking about the real issue of um, taking a bloated police budget and spending some of that on basic needs and services that arguably contribute to you know folks being out there and 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 uh, committing so-called crimes in the first place. So it's, it's wonderful to me to see that, that stage um, of the movement taking place and um, where, it's, where it's moved us. Minneapolis being you know, the, one of the examples that we're seeing where you know, the city council has now taken action, and we'll see how the people respond, but the city council itself has taken action toward uh, not just changing the police department, not just reforming it, but actually replacing it with something, you know, that, that, uh, with language that uh, we've been speaking We've been speaking to for a while, so uh, let's bring on let's bring on our guest at this point. Um, we have with us from the Detroit Will Breathe Coalition. We have Tristan Taylor with us today. We're excited to talk to him about um, the work that they've been doing uh, in the streets, protesting, um, bringing forth a list of demands that push us forward as far as um, how we look at policing, how we look at safety in our neighborhoods. Tristan, welcome to the Riverwise podcast. Thank you for being with us. No, thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Why don't we start by, I want to ask you, Tristan, if you could just take us back to the days or the, uh, right after the murder of George Floyd and how this coalition came together and um, you know, the, the, the conversations that were had around you know, how, to, how, to, how, to, how to best um, acknowledge uh, 
what's been going, what, what, what happened in Minneapolis, what's been going on around the country and how, uh, how that all came together, the coalition. The truth is the organization came out of probably like week one or week two of the daily mobilizations. And Detroit Will Breathe was formed in the heat of the struggle for the purpose of trying to maintain the struggle and give it uh, focus and clarity. And so it was a thing that not a single person who uh, helped start it or who's in it uh, had thought they were going to be doing, myself included. I thought the initial rally was going to be, you know, fun. And I was going to talk about evictions at it. And then I was going to go home um, and see what happens later. Um, and that wasn't the case because people kept coming back, right? Um, and as we saw the attempt to beat the movement back via an arbitrary and racist curfew, via the denunciations uh, from so-called community leaders um, and politicians uh, via uh, so-called community organizations with ties with the police uh, trying to intimidate people off the streets. We, we saw the need um, for a leadership that an organization that was uh, able to you know, reckon with those forces who are trying to, you know, stop the movement from uh, mm -hmm. growing mm -hmm. and, and being dynamic. How, how do you feel that is from that moment, that kind of inspiration of being like looking around and finding a need and then acting to see to fit that need? Uh, how has that progressed in the last, you know, now we're going into 40 days of action. How do you feel Detroit Will Breathe has uh, grown and continued to be and fit into the, the movement that is happening within the city? Uh, you know, uh, good question. Uh, and the answer to that is we've done pretty okay. <laughs> mm -hmm. Still learning and growing. Uh, but, you know, we have like amazing uh, uh, organizers, uh, some uh, who have, you know, been organizing for a while, a lot whom is their very first time. Uh, but a lot of people just volunteering their time and their resources and their creativity um, and being prepared to have like, you know, serious and tough discussions. And I think we've done a really good job of trying to engage and articulate um, with we've done a really good job of engaging people in the city um, and and, you know, even like people outside of it in the metro area. Um, but making sure that we are establishing what is unique, right? Which is a um, real dynamic reciprocal relationship um, uh, between forces uh, who uh, are able to center black and brown voices um, in the fight against police brutality and systemic inequality. Um, and, you know, via the demands uh, that we have currently um, we've also shown our ability to, uh, you know, address uh, some of those issues in a very specific and concrete way. Uh, that also allows us to continually engage with, like, the people uh, in the city. 
I'm wondering, you know, if the way that uh, Detroit Will Breathe has was formulated and has developed comes out um, of, you know, because you, you mentioned in, in the beginning, the rallies that took place before the protests that we see now, that was kind of always a part of the action. So the coalition, uh, the groups that came, the organizers that came out of, that, that we see now who are, you know, um, who are taking the lead, um, with Detroit Will Breathe and and the, and the uh, protests that the way it developed, a lot of that was through. Correct me if I'm wrong. A lot of that was through the rallies that took place in the very beginning, that would occur at the police headquarters pr prior to the march. I I don't think anyone just says okay. And I'll just reemphasize this. Like I didn't expect marches to happen every day, and I think the initial like rally wasn't even supposed to be a march mm. uh, and it turned into a march. And then even though it turned into like multiple marches that kind of split off, they met again and they were like, well, we want to march again. And uh, I remember, uh, you know, saying to the crowd, hey, so one of the things that movements should be able to do is to make, you know, democratic decisions as best we can. So like, I see people have a lot of energy what do we want to do? Do we want to march today or do we want to like march tomorrow? Uh, and then a random chant broke out. Oh, well, we can march today and march tomorrow. I was like, oh, okay. Uh, is that what we're doing? They're like, yeah, that's what we're doing. So we took a vote and then like it just every day, like every day, every day. And then I think what was so interesting was seeing on Sunday when the curfew was um, implemented. Um, I wasn't, um, in the position or the place of, you know, thinking about, like, I knew the curfew was wrong, but I was like, I, I don't know if we're capable or ready of challenging the curfew. Uh, and so I mm -hmm. left, but so many people stayed, so many people stayed and it made clear to me, um, you know, uh, why that was the right thing and and if the curfew was going to be broken you know it would require you know like bold leadership uh and a bit of organization so so anyway i'm like i'm you know there's a way in which we're i'm constantly we're constantly still trying to gather up because you know it's 40 days right it's like a month but it was like i've been a whirlwind so it's like we're always constantly trying to gather um, and assess and appreciate, you know, all of the experiences and, you know, because it's been a whirlwind, you, you can never know which date, was, which day was what exactly, or you remember the day, but you can't remember the date anyway. Well, have you had, have you had enough time, you know, with, with you guys on the streets every, pretty much nightly since you began, have you had, has there been ample time to kind of reflect on, you know, the effect you're having and, you know, how things are going to progress uh, in the near future. Sure. We've, we, you know, we've, we've had some like organizers meetings, um, because there was a point where we, you know, um, had like a dedicated team, um, that was like a, a you know, small core people who were, um, responsible for the daily demonstrations while other people, you know, would be able to figure out like, you know, what are the kind of next steps for the movement? Like, how we you know are able to build coalition so right the sunday that just happened we were in southwest detroit with over 20 organizations and so th that effort was part of our ability to kind of take stock 
of our experiences, but also, you know, make connections with other people, uh, other groups as well, to try to like really deepen the movement um, by moving it into the neighborhoods. Um, but I, one of the things that we uh, just decided uh, was to try to have like Sundays be days where we have mass meetings. Um, mm. um, we did, uh, no, I'm sorry. See, I, I get it mixed up. So we were in Southwest Detroit two Sundays ago. See, uh, we uh, this Sunday we we did um, a thing around uh, Cynthia Scott. Um, we also protested the uh, PGA tournament. That was fun. Mm-hmm. Um, made some noise. But <laughs> um, we we had one of the elders who uh, is from the League of Revolutionary Black Workers, and he said, you know, uh, General Baker said that like thinkers need to learn how to fight and fighters need to learn how to think. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like that inspired us um, to say like, oh, we actually need moments as a movement to be able to think and reflect. And so I think that's the, you know, with that, we're, we're trying to make Sundays the days where we have mass meetings and a chance to reflect collectively together. What does that coalition look like when you say we are the mass meeting on on Sundays, how is that coming to fruition with these different organizations? Are you, uh, how is that networking coming together? And who are some of the different organizations that are coming together with Detroit Will Breathe to have these kind of mass uh, collective meetings? Well, so Detroit Will Breathe is uh, calling on the mass meetings and certainly other organizations are uh, more than welcome to like join in those mass meetings. Um, the organizations uh, that we've worked with so far, I mean, they kind of are a, a bit numerous, but like, you know, from Frontline uh, to Cosecha, um to uh, Communities of Congress, uh, the DSA Black and Brown Alliance, uh, we've worked with uh, uh, established a good relationship with Yusuf Shakur. Um, we've actually had organizing meetings at uh, his like uh, community uh, center, like the house uh, that he operates. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, and we're actually um, in the midst of uh, trying to form a better relationship with IBEW or some of those working found members. Um, so, um, you know, we're we're casting a wide net um, in terms of, you know, coalitions, uh, in terms of organizations that we're working with. But but Detroit will breathe like Sundays. I think those are the mass meetings for the movement. So anyone who's participated or been part of the struggle um, so that we can get a sense of how it is that um, we both understand, you know, what our um, impact has been and also figure out, you know, ways of making sure that we continue to move forward in a dynamic way. So those Sunday meetings aren't necessarily public. I was going to ask you if you could share, you know, with folks um, who are listening. Oh, yeah, they're public. And that's when I say the movement. Like, okay, so let me let me clarify a little bit more. So Detroit Will Breathe only exists because there is a vacuum of leadership and organization, to be mm-hmm. frank, that was capable of maintaining and engaging all of these new forces and new energy that this movement against police brutality produced. And the premise of Detroit Will Breathe isn't to be an organization that lasts for years, to be frank. Maybe we will, maybe we won't. 
But the point of the organization is to make sure that we keep the movement mm-hmm. alive. So the mass meetings that we will be having on Sunday is for the movement. And whoever is a part of that, whatever organization is a part of that, if you're part of the movement, mm-hmm. that's your space. Mm-hmm. So can we share with folks where where that will take place uh, this Sunday and Sundays moving forward? Yeah, well, so we're trying to figure it out, the location still, um, because we're, um, like, Sunday, it might be at Butzel, uh, or it might be at Brush Park. We're still trying to figure out, because we also like the idea, just like we're doing the daily mobilizations in different parts of the city now, as a way to connect in the neighborhoods, it might be beneficial to also have mass meetings in different parts of the city to allow different groups of people to be able to participate in the movement who normally couldn't, right? Who can't travel downtown or whatever. Can I can I ask you a question? I want to go back to something because it's something that in is very interesting to me and watching and being a part of and studying movements. What when you say like when you recognize that there was a vacuum of leadership in this movement in this current moment in this summer uh, when we're looking at these things that are happening, why do you think that is? Because these things aren't these things that we are speaking out against are not new. These moments are not surprise. Like it, it, for some, maybe some people are having a, an awakening this summer and having some moments of that that light bulb being turned on to the you know terrible systemic issues that are rampant in our systems. But why do you think that there is that vacuum of leadership in an environment that is so in need of that? No, that's a good question. And I think it's one of those things that when you think about the civil rights movement, um, you could ask yourself, we rarely do. But one thing to ask is, well, if there was an NAACP, why did there need to be a core? And if there was a core, why did there need to be a SNCC, right? Um, Mm -hmm. And that was because at different moments of the struggle, there were different dynamics that organizations that pre-existing sometimes had difficulty shifting, right? Because if you're an organization, you've existed for 20 years, you, you got a system, right? You got a way that you move out. You have a way mm-hmm. of doing things. Uh, and sometimes yeah. that doesn't lead you to be equipped to deal with a completely new situation. Um, and so I think mm. part of the reason why there was such a vacuum of leadership uh, is because you know, and I'll just say for Detroit, being a person who's been active since I was 17 and I'm 37, Detroit's a hard place to live and a hard place to organize because the struggle is just so real, right? It's just so intense, right? Um, and, you know, it takes a lot of energy just to kind of go day by day um, and be it if you're fighting for water for ability or if you're fighting for, you know, housing or if you're and and against gentrification or um you know if you're fighting for renters rights like the you like the the deck is stacked against you right it takes all your all just to do that one single thing um and so i just think that you know what it meant is that when this new situation came like a lot of people were you know just weren't able to like make that shift not that is any, not to say that is their responsibility per se to do that. Um, we all should aspire to to be able to be the, the the people who can you know make a moment work. But also, 
not, I don't want it to sound as if um, these groups who have been struggling for so long and, you know, um, it, that it was their responsibility either to like, um, you know, drop everything and engage with this, this new movement. And so I think part of what Detroit will breathe, um, the way that we think about operating is how do we also harness this power to elevate, you know, those struggles and voices that have been here fighting for a while? Because like me, I'm, I'm one of those voices who, who's been around. And so I'm very conscious of making sure that now that we have everyone's attention, right? Um, that we should have had their attention for a while. But now that we have it, like, what do we do with it now? You know? Stepping into that place. And now that we have the attention of, of not just those who we are standing opposed to, but those who are now, who may not have been engaged with the movement until this summer and are now perking up, finding it in themselves to come and join and be a part of, although may not, they may not know exactly what is the right thing to do. What is the proper thing, when to do, when to show up. And you, uh, I'm curious now that Detroit Will Breathe has now found itself with this power, with this platform, what kind of are the, the conversations that are happening about what extends next, what comes um, forward? And I had mentioned that there was the, the, the longer list of demands that were put out, and then I believe they were distilled to uh, a, a, shorter, a little bit of a shorter list. They were prioritized. So they're okay. still coming for demands. Um, we uh, put a priority on 11 because 11 of them were specifically uh, to Detroit. Um, and we did that because, you know, we had a meeting with the mayor. And so we wanted to make sure that, like, we presented to them things that we knew they could actually have change over. Um, so that, that's why uh, we, we made the decision to prioritize which ones affected Detroit in particular. That I should clarify what Detroit city government had the power to deal with that didn't require like state legislation or, you know, county mm -hmm. legislation. Mm -hmm. I definitely want to get back to the conversation with uh, the mayor and the chief, but I want to ask, you know, Riverwise was involved, uh, was part of this ad that we just, that was put out over the weekend in support of the protesters, a full page ad. Part of that statement um, and you've kind of touched on some of this. Part of that statement had to do with the responsibility of um, collaborating with, you know, folks that have been in the city working on this struggle for a little while now. Um, do you think that connected to that is the possibility, the possible contradiction or the possible conflict between what the demands are asking for, what the, what the movement is asking for at this point as far as changing our system of policing and... Um, you know, what folks are thinking about in the neighborhoods, what residents, what residents are thinking in the neighborhoods about policing and how it needs to change or not change in some cases. Um, you know, we've seen some of that working on this issue of uh, police surveillance. Um, you mentioned how, you know, how real the struggle is for folks. Um, part of that real struggle is, you know, concerns about safety, families. So when we talk about broadening the coalition, I mean, what, what, uh, what thoughts do you have about, you know, talking to folks or just having that conversation with folks about, you know, providing a vision about how policing might look in the future to folks who aren't, who aren't having that right now. 
So two things on that. Um, the first thing is, um, and this goes a little bit uh, again to Amaz's question about like, what do we do, you know, with this platform? How are we using it? Um, since more people are paying attention, right? And since more people are activated, it also means that if, for example, around facial recognition uh, and Project Greenlight, um, we just use the information that had already exists and the work that was already put in um, and, you know, uh, put it out there so that now there are greater numbers of people who are calling and having discussions about facial recognition and Project Greenlight, right? So, like, in that instance, we're able to amplify what had already been a conversation and, and critiques of this program. Uh, so that more people can be part of the conversation um, and more people know how to take action against, you know, unjust policies. And part of the thing is, is that it was funny to me um, when talking about defunding the police, which is, you know, part of uh, a demand that we see nationwide, is that people say, oh, but like, well, what will we do? And I'm like, well, let's ask the community. Because it's a problem that we never really did that in the first place to ask the community what they actually mm -hmm. need. Because we never do that. What kind of police do they need? What policing looks like is actually something that the community needs to decide. Um, and so hopefully uh, what we are able to do with this movement is to be able to have a conversation uh, that we've never been able to even have before. Um, which is what does it look like to actually create safe and secure neighborhoods? Mm -hmm. With the with the input of of the folks in that in that community in that neighborhood. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. how else? I mean, you know, they're the experts, and yeah. actually, they've been telling us for a million years. Uh, uh, that's why they needed more rec centers and schools and after school programs for young people so they won't get in trouble, more job training, right? Uh, you know, uh, less uh, uh, punitive policies towards young people. It's not, you know, there's a way in which, like, it's not new. Like, some of the ideas that people have had, they've been screaming it at people for ages. It's just no one listened. And so this is the time where we actually get uh those voices where, where we have the intention of the uh of the world um and and can force them to actually start listening to some of the things that we need yeah i mean that's one of the things i'm thinking i mean folks like um i'm thinking about the uh detroit coalition against police brutality and their um their uh branch off organization peace zones for life that conversation has been being had for a while and you know some folks have benefited from it in a way that they you know it's transformed them and how they approach safety in their own neighborhoods but you know there's there's been a lot of you know it's been a long struggle as well so i'm I'm kind of wondering you know hoping that are looking for you know a sign that you know this can this version of the conversation this time will you know be sustained and then we'll the conversation will be had a little bit uh, on a deeper level. No, I agree. Yeah. I, you know, I think I, we, um, Detroit Will Breathe insisted um, when meeting with the mayor, for example, that future conversations about policy, uh, even if there was going to be a committee, that that committee had to be a committee that met in public 
um, and the people who sat on that committee uh, that the community had should be able to decide like who even gets to sit on this working committee. Um, because again, too often uh, policies that are made are made um, with people not in the room. Um, and, and on that basis, uh, being able to kind of shut out voices. And so that's why I think um, the fight to defund the police um, is a way of uh, creating space uh, for like community these conversations around restorative justice, right? That's been going on forever. That that we actually build a space for those uh, conversations mm -hmm. to happen. And are you feeling that that is you? Are you feeling empowered in that and seeing an efficacy in that uh, offering that space? Yeah, I think so. And I think the question, you know, the the challenge we have, of course, is especially in Detroit. I won't say pessimism, but how knowledgeable people are of how hard it is to get city leaders to do the right thing. Um, and so I think we've also got to, and I think we definitely have had an impact and, and forced you know, city council to take notice of the movement, but we've got to find better ways of getting them to actually do the right things. And I think um, if the movement can, you know, score some important victories, uh, then that would increase uh, the, um, how willing people, I think it'll uh, allow people to uh, be more vocal um, with the sense that what they say will mm -hmm. actually matter. Um, I doubt that uh, because of how, quite frankly, terrible uh, and tone deaf uh, city council and the mayor uh, have been. If I can touch again on the conversation um, you and your colleagues had with the mayor and the chief of police, um, if if I'm not wrong, you came out thinking that you know it was it was there was a conversation happened, perhaps that they weren't as responsive as you would you would have liked them to be. Um, do you think that they, you know, the chief seems to have the chief of police seems to have had his mind made up. I'm going back to the you know the meetings we went to around surveillance and the comments he's made about facial recognition and, and Project Greenlight. Um, do you think that there's do you think there's a chance that they're relying on the fact that, as I mentioned before, there's a you know there's a number of Detroiters and a, and a number of organizations, um, some you might con you might consider radical or at least progressive, that aren't ready to take that you know step into the streets or ready to take that step to really support the demands that you and, and others have put out. Can you talk a little bit more about your impressions coming out of that meeting and um, uh, what you see in the future around that? Around, around 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 real city response to the demands. Yeah, I mean, well, let's let's you know let's let's take a step back, right? Because when we talk about like people being out on the streets, you know, Detroit has a a, a strong tradition of radical politics, right? Of, of revolutionary movements, and what we saw um, in uh, the police response to uh, the early days of the demonstration um, is the type of physical repression that uh, people fighting in the streets are all too common, all, all too common with, right? And like part of like what stops people from being like more aggressive, more militant is the fact 
that they know of the state's uh, uh, capability of, of being aggressive and brutal in response to movements. Um, and so what they thought, Chief Craig and Mayor Duggan, was that they could mm-hmm. beat the movement mm-hmm. out of the streets because they've been able to do that to an extent before. And they always have the kind of carrot and stick policy. So when they saw they couldn't beat the movement into the streets, I mean, out of the streets, when they saw they couldn't beat the movement out of the streets, when they saw that they actually couldn't get the movement to submit to a racist and arbitrary curfew, that's when they were like, oh, we'll meet with the movement. And what they thought was that uh, if they sat down with the movement, that that meeting of itself, in and of itself, and the promise of more meetings would get the movement to, you know, die down. Because they've also had a lot of success in that as well, to be honest. And part of that is because how inaccessible city leaders are, you know, Mm -hmm. how desperate people are in trying to connect and have their voices heard, that even the promise of a meeting is like seen as a victory in and of itself. Do you put uh, the the incident that took place at uh, Werner and Waterman several days ago, um, which police car driving through mm-hmm. the protesters and throwing a few to the ground. Um, that mm-hmm. almost seems like part of, because that was, we assume at this point, or it's, it's been stated that, the, that, the, um, that they've relaxed uh, the restrictions on when you can be out. They've, um, but that was a case where they tried to interrupt the protests. What, 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 what happened around that as far as, you know, the curfew was officially rela- relaxed, but yet they were out and, 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 and uh, and antagonizing and and ultimately brutalizing a good part of the uh, a good part of the people involved in the protests. Um, can we talk about that incident just for a moment? And how that? Sure. Um, and it, it was an incident that was um, uh, an expression of the deep rooted uh, oppressive mm-hmm. nature of policing um, in the United States. Because in the truth, in, in reality, the only thing they know how to do is to be violent. The only way they know how to deal with issues um, is to be violent. Like they don't know how to resolve conflicts other than mm-hmm. sheer repression and brute force. And so in response to the movement, not just simply continuing to exist, but actually make connections um, with different sections of the city and build a truly, in a lot of ways, historic unity, right? Um, in Southwest Detroit, you know, we had over 20 organizations um, signed on uh, t- to that rally that and marched that day. Um, and uh, I think the police um, uh, saw that um, and saw that strength um, and quite frankly was a little afraid and intimidated uh, of that strength um, and, you know, just angry that we dare build the movement to uh, around police brutality um, and being critical of them and, and demanding accountability from them. And so they lash out like the petty, you know, 10 year olds, um, they seem to be trained to be uh, with physical violence against us. Um, and so 
it it makes it clear that there's you know they're still up to their old tricks of just trying to beat the movement off the streets um and again we know that that's an unspoken truth that people in the city of detroit know as well which is why people restrain themselves in a lot of ways not just violence against protesters but the daily violence and random violence of police right like the the whole point is to create this atmosphere where people don't feel like they could be vocal uh uh, in fear of consequences but the movement bounced back um and we had uh uh twice as many people show up that very next day um you know calling for those officers to be fired and calling for chief Craig to resign one of the other things that strikes me is is on the list of demands you know some i've i've had conversations with folks that said you know maybe you know in including the water issue and including the eviction issue you know it maybe went too far but i i thought it was um i thought it was brilliant to you know take the opportunity to um speak to the fact that those 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 things these issues are all connected these injustices are all connected um amas and i had a conversation with uh, reverend ross recently about the the interconnectedness of the struggle and the issues that go on inside of the struggle. Um, so I just wanted to address and have you give you a chance to address again, you know, the list of demands and how that plays a part in, you know, keeping people aware that those are issues, you know, as you know, in this, especially in this age when, you know, we've got so many uh, crises to address. But I thought that was, uh, I thought that was, in- that was interesting. And I thought that was um, important. I thought that was vital that they be on, on that list. Yeah, it was, again, our way of saying to this whole group of people who mm-hmm. came out to fight against police brutality and systemic racism, how to exactly do that and what it meant to make a real connection um, uh, between, you know, who they were and what they were fighting for and how do we give as best of a defense of black and brown bodies as possible, which means recognizing that the threat against black and brown bodies isn't just the police um it's also evictions right which are um in their ways it's also uh in you know around water right um and so this was our yeah i I think it was absolutely essential um for the movement to continue to deepen its roots within the city of detroit um and be relevant um that we had to take those positions all right, we're talking with Tristan Taylor from Detroit Roll Breathe. I want to talk a little bit about also. I want to make sure that we touch on. I mean, you have touched on this certainly, but I want to. I want to go back to the long term vision um, or the long term strategy. Um, take long term as you will. Um, what we've got the Sunday meetings are taking place, and that, and that seems to be you know a, a move towards coalition building. Um, how long do you see? You know, at what point do you change the strategy from, um, you know, the streets first and then, and then, you know, um, the reflection, uh, in between at what point do the street actions tamper down? You think is, is there a point at which, you know, that the city would respond in a way that would, you know, would lead to further action, different types of action. Yeah. Well, the movement doesn't seem to be letting up 
they just want to keep marching. Even when we were talking about, you know, there was one point where we were like, can we do these daily demonstrations, y'all? I don't think we can. How can we do the daily demonstrations and like organize stuff and make sure that, you know, we're like being focused and strategic. And everyone's like, yeah, we get that. We understand that. But we want to be in these streets. And you're like, okay, you're right. <laughs> you have, yeah, you should. Because, and everyone is right to believe that the moment we leave the streets is the moment we give away our power to make change. And we've seen in the city of Detroit, city council and the mayor actually dig their heels in more um, in response to the growing uh, opposition and evidence too around, for example, facial recognition. Um, uh, you know, the, the fact that Chief Craig at uh, subcommittee for city council openly said that it doesn't work 97% of the time and yet they're still going to use it is outrageous. Um, the fact that we know there was a person who was falsely identified by facial recognition. Um, uh, and they're still like, oh, this is the best thing since sliced bread, right? Uh, the fact that city council has failed to act for three weeks on a simple resolution to call for the mayor to drop the charges against protesters. Um, that um, is going to take a lot of energy and effort um, and power um, to get these folks to, to do the right thing. So not only, like we, we actually need to increase the number of people in the streets um, because that's how Oof, that's just how stubborn the powers that be are in maintaining the status quo. All right. Well, Tristan, thank you very much, man, for being with us. We hope uh, we hope we get a chance to uh, touch base with you and um, check in with you as things move forward. Um, it's great to hear um, about the opportunities, the spaces that are opening up, coalition building, and the fact that you know that they you know they've been there the whole time, and um, you know folks who are. Uh, are ready to join, you know, this movement for uh, for change in our police system. Um, are ready to address more directly um, injustices around um, racial inequity. We hope this is an opportunity for for them. Um, Amas, you want to? Uh, any other questions for Tristan before we wrap it up? No, I appreciate that this is continuing to happen. Um, I am glad to hear that there is just a voice that is consistently being out there that you're listening to the people who are showing up. Um, I really hope to see the extensive coalition building between there are so many voices heading in the correct direction and seeing that network of communication and empowerment and strength and, you know, letting every leader have a moment to breathe and another leader take different roles so that this movement does not lose momentum. Um, I'm really excited to see this continue. Yeah, I think that um, you know, as as I listen to Tristan talk too, I, I'm thinking more about you know the use of the term community control as folks are you know looking at this movement. You know, some folks have have uh, um, have still not totally committed to the idea that you know we need to, we need to 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 um, reallocate resources from the police system. And I don't know if a lot of that is semantics. You know, we've talked a lot about the the um, use of the term defunding, but certainly community control, again, comes out again as, as, as the direction we need to be heading, we need to be heading in um, as, far as, as far as envisioning 
a different type of policing, a different type of uh, response to what's going on in neighborhoods, because we there's no question that the issues still uh, still exist. Yeah, Tristan, thanks for joining us. Um, good luck. Be safe uh, in the coming days, and uh, we look forward to speaking with you again as soon as we can. No, thank you. Likewise, I appreciate the opportunity and uh, enjoy the conversation. Thank you, Tristan. Really appreciate it. for listening this is eric from riverwise magazine as we navigate these challenging times of collective mourning and protest and transformation we're grateful to be part of a vital network of community-based media your continued support is vital so we just want to take a minute and recognize the people keeping the riverwise podcast afloat those people include the riverwise collective the james and grace lee bog center kari frazier and the Detroit is Different Network. We thank them for their technical and creative support. We thank Heidi Osgood, L'Oreal West, Valerie Jean for their help in getting the podcast out to the public. We want to thank Reverend Joan Ross for her continued encouragement and inspiration at WNUC. Bryce Detroit, thank you for letting us use your track out here now from the album Structured Water. You should all look for it. And we want to thank the Detroit Journalism Engagement Fund, which is facilitated through the Community Foundation for Southeast Michigan, who have supported Riverwise and this podcast and the writing work workshop since 2018. Most importantly, we want to thank you all, the, the listeners, the readers, the people who are building community, building relationships out in the city of Detroit. We thank you for your support through the magazine, through the podcast. And we look forward to bringing more valuable content to you in 2020 and beyond. Peace.